Hello everyone and welcome to the Pokemon Masterclass. My guest today is a legendary Pokemon card collector and one of the original Pokemon YouTubers. Please welcome everyone, one of the most influential members of the Pokemon card community, Zach Browning, better known as Gem Mint Pokemon. Zach, how is it going, my friend? What's up, man? How's it going? Happy to be on the podcast and uh, talk some talk some Pokemon with you. Well, Zach, I am so happy to have you here, man. And I don't use that term lightly when I say influential. I've had several people on the podcast who have used the exact term when describing you. And so many people that I've talked to over the years, so many people that I've come in contact with. Just most recently, I had Pokemon Raider on the podcast, ZNG Emporium. And they both said the same thing. One of the people that got them back into Pokemon or their first introduction back into Pokemon cards was you. And I have to, I have to just tell you this story right off the bat uh, because <laughs> it's, it's personal to me. Back in 2016, I was uh, at that time I was a practicing financial advisor, and I was sitting at my desk one day. And uh, probably should have been working, but instead I was scrolling through YouTube. And I've always been a fan of Pokemon, but my interest in the, the cards themselves, I had taken a, quite a long hiatus from those. Right, and right. I used to go onto YouTube and I used to search for the Pokemon anime. You know, Back then it wasn't on Netflix or any of the other streaming services that we have. I don't even know if those streaming services existed. But uh, I used to go on and watch the, the original anime on YouTube. And it just so happened one day when I was scrolling through the feed that I came across one of your videos. And I can remember specifically, <laughs> it was the legend, you were opening a legendary collection uh, packs, booster packs. And I oh, thought yeah. to myself, wow, I cannot believe that these are still out there. And it was that singular video I believe that was in around, I was looking back through your videos today, and I believe that was in February of 2016. And I just have to say it right here up front. That was the pivotal video that got me back into Pokemon, got me collecting, got me investing into this hobby. So right off the bat, Zach, I have to give you huge kudos because if really, I don't know if it was for you, if it wasn't for you, there probably wouldn't be a Pokenav. So thank you for uh for getting me back into it man i'm just i'm just so humbled by that i've got a huge smile on my face and you know pokemon radar john and zng emporium they're, they're both great great guys and you know i talked to both of them you know as they got sort of back into collecting done deals with both of them as we go through and it's just incredible you can pinpoint it back to one video because i remember where i was at in life at that point you know i was living in new york and actually recorded that video back in indiana i think i went back go see my family for a weekend or something. And I actually recorded like maybe 12 to 15 of those packs. And then I pulled the Zard or whatever on the second like video. And I was like, who wants to see the rest of these openings? Like we pulled the Zard, <laughs> like this is it. Like there's nothing left guys. Let's just stop it here. And I actually never posted the rest of those openings. Cause I was just like, dude, like this, this is it. Like, you know, just going for the gold there. So mm -hmm. thanks so much for sharing that. That's uh very humbling. And, uh, Look what you've created. I mean, Pokey Nav, I mean, up and coming, you know, you're doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of great content. So very, very happy to be a part of that journey for you. Yeah. And, you know, it's, again, it's so 
fun to have these full circle experiences. I've said this to other members that I've had on the podcast, other guests, and you know, to to see that and then to actually see this come to fruition where I'm speaking with you today, you know, one of the the people that really influenced me to get back into uh, Pokemon cards. It's just, it's just an amazing experience. So, so when you first got back into it, were you just like, like, how'd you want to start? I mean, you saw a video, you're like, Hey, I want to look on eBay. I want to find some more packs or were you immediately like, I want to create content or, you know, let's not, let's shift this a little more to PokeNav. Yeah. Like, well, like, where'd your mind go from there? I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah. So initially I, I was just fascinated at the fact that these products were potentially still out there. I thought that yeah. many of these have had gone by the wayside. That you know that the hobby itself. I I had seen packs in stores, and I saw Pokemon cards still in stores. But these vintage products, these these products that I had grown up with, I had no idea that they were still out there. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I did is I jumped onto eBay, started browsing around, and actually the first uh, product that I bought back then, I believe it was in maybe the summer of 2000 well the summer of 2016 was a base set unlimited booster box and i think i bought it oh, for wow. maybe $850 right <laughs> right around there and uh, i i just couldn't believe it and i what was funny is i started learning more and i thought to myself just from you know being a financial advisor i thought from a supply and demand standpoint there can't be that many of these still out there so even at that time i had enough uh, cognition in the hobby to say, you know what, I think I might just keep this sealed for a little while and see where it goes. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I did end up selling that, that same booster box in, um, I believe it was late 2018, mm-hmm. uh, which I horribly regret now, but, uh, so there right. you go, guys. Pokenav doesn't always make the best decisions himself. The financial um, advisor and you, you know, said, take the gains, take the gains. This is yeah, good. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of risk here. Take the gains, but yeah. you know, supply and demand, true collector, you know, got to mm-hmm. hold. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, I started learning more again, m- watched more of your videos, started learning about PSA grading. I, PSA, I, I didn't know what that acronym meant mm-hmm. from anything else out there and started learning about grading and you know, encapsulation and authentication and how to submit to PSA. Again, one of your videos, uh, how to submit to PSA. That is where I started and learning how to submit cards, the proper way to submit cards, package up cards, all of Mm -hmm. those things. In fact, people still give me a hard time for using the sticky tabs on my cards because (laughs) (laughs) PSA apparently frowns upon that now, but uh, that's still my my strategy for submitting cards to PSA. And uh, yeah, just kind of took it from there. And then it wasn't until um, last year that I finally decided to jump onto YouTube and sort of share some of the the knowledge, the experiences that I had gained throughout the years and buying and selling and more of that investing aspect. And uh, again, trying to bring a lot of the things that I had learned from being a financial advisor and trying to incorporate that into the collectibles and more specifically the Pokemon realm. So yeah, that, that's kind of the origin story and, and where mm-hmm. it uh, where it all went from there. So you've gone full circle. You've you know become you know hobbyist enthusiast, uh, now educator, master class, and now you're giving back to the hobby. You know, you're you're giving back, and that's what it's all about. It's about um, not only completing your goals, but helping your fellow collector complete their goals. 
and, you know, through this education and, you know, content you're creating, uh, it, it's a great thing. So I think if everyone took the same approach and, you know, treat the hobby as kind of a, this mutual, you know, initiative that we're all working together and uh, just trying to help one another, I, I think that um, is where the most benefit in the hobby comes from. I mean, it's great to hit a big car or get a good pull, but I mean, to see your buddy working on a set for two years, and then you help him with the last card. I mean, that is just as rewarding as completing my own set. So mm-hmm. um, it's great to see you creating content and giving back. Well, I, I truly appreciate that, man. The, those those kind words mean a lot. And I mean, you are one to, to speak from that angle because you have done so much for the hobby. And that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to bring you on today. Part of it is selfish because, you know, I'm kind of fanboying here in a way because, like I said, you were the the person that got me back into the hobby. But the other thing is you have so much knowledge and so much experience in collecting and building such an amazing collection. I, For anybody out there that isn't familiar, Zach has arguably one of the best collections I have ever seen. And I'm sure we'll get into it here today. But I really want to start off first, Zach, uh, in kind of going back to the beginning for yourself and discussing how this amazing journey for you began in collecting Pokemon cards and what really gave you the impetus to jump in and, and go down this path. Well, you know, I always sort of tell the story of when I was a kid and, you know, 99 getting, you know, jungle packs for Christmas from a grandma and that nostalgic moment that sort of started it all. And so I, I just have this deep rooted nostalgia that um, constantly go back to some of the best moments of my life with, with all my family. And um, sadly, you know, not all those people are still here today, but, you know, coming back to 2012 or so, that's sort of when I jumped in, I, um, Left college after my junior year, started working for a year, saved up around maybe 10 grand or so. And then I just basically had my bills paid. And I was like, you know, where can we spend a little extra cash? And I mean, I was kind of looking at tons of things and Pokemon just happened to be one of them. Very, very fortunately, I would hate to be the, um, I don't know, just random collector or something else at this point. But Pokemon just, it kind of worked out, you know, and there's always this sort of risk. Uh, anytime you buy something, so you're always kind of hesitant. You don't want to go all in. You want to be careful. You know, when you're buying something new, you kind of treat this investment or this purchase as, you know, zero sum. You know, it's just cash out the door. You're mm-hmm. not going to get that back. So I basically bought a few PSA 9 base set first edition models on eBay. And this price is going to kill you. It was between 90 and like $105. If I was paying over $100 for a base set first edition PSA 9 hollow, I was like, I'm overpaying. Like this doesn't feel yeah. right. And yeah. And then over time, you know, some went for 75, some went for 90 and I was like, Oh my gosh, you're going lower. You know, I was freaking out a little bit in 2012, mm-hmm. 2013 and basically put together, together a nice little set, maybe spent 14, $1,500 altogether. And that's really how it started. I mean, this was like one purchase a week, maybe, maybe a month. Um, mm-hmm. I was probably buying at least one card a week and very, very slow. Didn't include jungle fossil, any of those products. And then I got to the point that I learned about Shadowless. I met Ed, Birdman, I met Gary, um, Haas, you know, King Pokemon really started talking to Gary and, you know, decided, well, you know, I think I'm going to want tens eventually. And, you know, for me at the time, tens were like 300 bucks. I remember buying a Mewtwo 10 for $300 and thinking that is way too much money. This is crazy. (laughs) So I ended up trading, doing my first big trade with Gary where I traded on maybe 12 to 14 
um, PSA 9 basset hollows for maybe like 10 or 11 shadowless PSA 10 hollows. I remember it was like two or three less mm-hmm. and uh, ended up working out. But I mean, from there, that, that was like where it all started. Um, base jungle fossil, the goals expanded and one goal became two, you know, two goals became five. All of a sudden, you know, you're collecting 30 sets. And um, the, the real important point is to start small and start slow. Um, no one build, you can't build Rome in a day, but you can start with one brick at a time. And that's where I was. And so the intention was never to be where we are today. The intention was just to go back to a childhood memory, relive it, and then just buy what I could. And mm-hmm. I think at the time I was making like 20 bucks an hour. And so my income was very different and uh, I did what I could. And so that changed over time and the collection grew. And then um, eventually got to a point where it's like, man, Pokemon is big. I mean, the audience is huge. The the market is huge. You got the video games and collectibles. You have all this sort of stuff coming together. And it's like, there's really not that much risk with Pokemon. I mean, kind of like your, you know, epiphany moment where it's like booster boxes are, you know, not being reprinted. You know, they're, they're kind of limited. They're, you know, no one's going to make more of them. It was kind of like, Pokemon's here to stay. Um, and then at one point, I just sort of went all in. I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, I feel very confident in every purchase I'm making. Everything's going up. Um, so many people are coming to the hobby. And uh, from there, it was just, it was a home run. That's so, that's, it's just so crazy to hear that. You know, and even when I, you know, talking about those prices, I can remember even in 2016 when I first jumped into it, mm-hmm. you know, nothing, absolutely nothing like they are now. But, you know, it like you said, there is that risk there, you know, that's that risk versus reward scenario of, you know, even then I was thinking to myself, like, I probably, you know, buying this stuff, I might be able to break even on it. But then again, over time, as I started to see it grow, uh, I started to say to myself, okay, like there's more people coming in, as you said, especially mm-hmm. after Pokemon Go and the and the 20th anniversary, oh, yeah. we started to see a pretty big influx of people, I started to see more content being produced on uh, places like YouTube and more people becoming familiarized with a lot of these sets and started to see that opportunity as well how i'm interested to know how you got connected because i know this is a, a really important aspect that i don't think a lot of people discuss enough in this hobby and i think it's so integral is your social contacts being able to you know either uh, connect with a wider audience or you know be able to get your name out there to more collectors, more people that can introduce you to products. I'm interested to know how you came across people like uh, Gary Hayes and came in contact with them. Yeah, I think, you know, um, the first like year or two, I was very private, pretty much would just buy stuff. And I always kind of thought it was funny to like buy something and get removed from the market. Everyone be like, who bought that? Who paid that? Or, you know, it just disappears. And I was like fantasized with that how uh, it's like people would talk about it. And I think, you know, once you find E4, that, that's a great social network, great place to be, tons of articles, all that stuff. But th- there came a point where I just couldn't complete my goals on my own. The cards I needed were not on eBay. Kangaskhan, first edition piece of 10 from Jungle. Um, the one from Fossil, maybe it was Lapras at the time. But there were cards that literally were not available and so I made a YouTube channel literally to reach out to other people and say, Hey, you know, I'm out here. Like I'm a collector, like help me, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I want to meet you guys. Like what are y'all stories? Who, who else is in this? And then I think what really surprised me was 
it wasn't like, you know, a bunch of people from Indiana that were collectors. It was people from all over the world as in the, um, the ratio or the, uh, kind of the distribution of collectors was very evenly spread between like Australia, the UK, all of Europe and uh, the United States is in, um, there wasn't like a, like a pocket of people that were just, you know, out collecting others like LA or something. Um, I was really surprised by that. And through that, you just build contact, you know, contacts, um, people reach out to you, people help you. Probably the, the, the number one thing that's helped me over the years was people being invested in my goals and mm-hmm. what I'm trying to achieve. And I, I don't want to like, I think I always paid a fair price. I was always wanting to pay above market and that sort of helped me lock cards in that I wouldn't have otherwise locked in as in I was always willing to pay a fair price. And I think people knew that um, I never tried to cheat anyone. I always offer everyone the same price for everything, regardless of how big you are, how small you are. I try to keep everything very, very fair. But um, through that, um, people would say, Hey Zach, I know you need T17 first edition. And I got the first one ever graded, you know, same thing with Amphros when you rev got the first one ever graded, you know, mm-hmm. people reached out and they said, Hey, I want to help your collection. And, um, just me being positive, I think humble in the process too. Um, it, it's, it's very, very hard, um, to, to kind of keep that perspective. Um, it, it's really allowed me to just lift other people up on the way. And, you know, some of this stuff might sound cheesy or whatever, but like, like I take great joy and, and just sitting there and talking on Instagram, like for hours at a time with someone that might've just like hopped in the DMs like that night and uh, just hearing the stories, hearing the passion and uh, there's no other hobby like it. I mean, I, I've been a part of other hobbies and um, there are a lot of sharks out there and um, it's, it's just one of the most rewarding things. So um, if you want to grow your audience, you want to answer your question, if you want to help, you know, meet the context and all that, you really have to give back to the hobby. And for me, that was creating YouTube. It was educating people. It was creating content. It was, you know, not replying on E4, a little like one sentence, like witty comments. It was, you know, typing a paragraph or two, you know, walking Mm -hmm. people through things, you know, you're not, you know, bashing people or, you know, it's very, very just positive. And I've always tried to avoid the drama. So any drama comes up, I always try to take a step back. Um, But once you learn how to give back generally, um, it's just in that positive. Yeah. And I totally agree. Recently I had Pat Flynn on the podcast and he used the term infotainment. And I think that's really appropriate. Mm-hmm. And the type of content that we're starting to see flourish, especially in Pokemon is people who are giving back people who are providing knowledge. And it's not to say that 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 knowledge or that insight is is always good or it's always beneficial. But I think you can tell you you can clearly see the people out there that are wanting to give back that are wanting to spread that knowledge and information. And I think that's what people really, really want. And they really appreciate yes, there is the entertainment aspect that that still exists. But I think we're starting to transition more into that realm of of infotainment, you know, as as the term he used. And, uh, and, and, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense that even back then, you were providing that to people, you were you were putting yourself out there and connecting with all of these different members of the community and and really cultivating and building that social network and that again you were you were an early adopter in that sense as well before all of this really took off and ton of risk, that's a ton of risk 
ton of risk, a ton of risk, definitely. But I think the the point that you make is so is so poignant in that if you're putting others first and and you're really looking out for the best interest of everyone, you know that kind of utilitarian approach. I truly think that it pays dividends to you in the end. I mean, you you can probably vouch for this as well. I think any successful company out there, the thing that sets them apart and makes them uh, sustainable in the long term is is putting the interests of their their customers, their clients first, and and curating their products or their services around that. When you go into something with, from purely a, a monetary standpoint, and in Again, you see a lot of that in this hobby as well. Um, people getting in or, or or diving into this from purely the, the the fiscal standpoint. It's not always a a, a viable long term strategy. Yeah, and I mean, I'll give you another take. Like, like I I'm a little selfish in the way that like I only really want to talk to collectors or like enthusiasts. Um, you know, I, if people are just in it for the money or just want to know the right thing to buy or hold or, you know, they don't really have that passion. I mean, like, I think we all flip to some degree. So calling them flippers, mm-hmm. I think is a little, like maybe not the right word or term, but, um, you know, I, I never um, really gear any content or gear any messaging um, towards people who are kind of just flash, just in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I do, you know, I think even I talked to Pokenomics about it. He's like, you know, my, my backgrounds are boring because I want people to be here that that I want here. And I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting, you know, because I was talking about that. I was like, you know, why do you have your background that way? He's like, well, I want people here for the content. And I'm kind of the same way. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make it fun. I'll make it interesting. And I'll talk about, I want every video to be at least worth it. It's probably why I don't post a whole lot because I want every video to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I want people... Um, that I interact with to be here because they want to be here. I want them to be, you know, just truly invest in the hobby, passionate collectors. They want to learn um, that they want to, you know, broaden their scope and their knowledge base. Um, but, um, you know, people that just want to buy and sell and just, you know, try to make the most money. Um, you kind of, you kind of put off, I'm a little put off by it. And I mean, I don't interact with them. I interact with those people quite a bit um, when they reach out, but, um, I don't really have that same motivation to just tell them how to, they can just, you know, just take advantage of the hobby. It's just doesn't seem fair. Right. When there's so many genuine people who are very limited by um, their means. I mean, our hobby is very young. I mean, our uh, target demographics, like probably 25 to 35 mm-hmm. with, you know, being younger and younger, depending on what, you know, series you're looking at Nintendo, EX, Diamond and Pearl, Heart, Gold, Soul, Silver. And, um, we're kind of disadvantaged by people who maybe have more access to capital or been around longer or older, or um, maybe didn't experience it as children. And so um, it's very easy to take advantage of a hobby in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just, the, the people who are truly here because of the joy that we all had as children, you know, when we first opened packs and while we're back, I think that's what attracts me to um, continue to help the hobby grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's so true. And I think that the the thing that I love about this hobby as well is that I think at our core, you know, I talked about it in that, you know, I have a financial background, financial advisor. I did see Pokemon as a potential investment, much like I saw other alternative right. assets out there, you know, gold, silver, fine art, things like that. But I think at most of our core, we are collectors. And I've, I've always told people that 
in the end, like my investing goals are so that I can reinvest back into my collection. And, uh, and it's always a fine balance too. And I'm sure you've seen this over time in that uh, there, there is this dichotomy in that you, you're a collector and you, you add products to your collection and then you start to see them go up. And there is that, that dark night of the soul, if you will, where you're right, like, right. oh man, you know, there's, there's that constant tug. And to me, I think a point that you made that I think is, is very well put is that there's really not a whole lot of differences between us. I think right now, not just in Pokemon, but really it seems like every aspect of life nowadays, there it has to be black or white. There always has to be this us versus them, this, this uh, schism that, right. that people try to put between others. And I really think, I've said it before, that the collectors, the investors, the flippers, the whomever, the people that are in this hobby, now we'll, we'll exclude the scalpers, we'll exclude the people that are just doing egregious things, but really those big three and the competitive players cannot forget about them either. Um, but we all really operate in a very symbiotic way, in my opinion. Right. The the investors go out uh, very often. They can bring things to the surface. They can bring things to market for the collectors. The collectors can educate the investors on things that could be a good long-term hold, something that they should consider holding for you know X amount of years. The competitive players also, I recently had uh, OmniPoke on, and he really turned me on to nice. a lot of aspects of cards from the competitive standpoint that I had never thought of before that really brought a whole new perspective to my eyes of, wow, yeah, that's really cool. That's something that I'd like to have a part of my collection. One specifically are those world championship decks from the various oh, yeah. uh, world champion players. And I really started to view those in a much different light after having that conversation with him. And so to me, there's there's just a lot less differences and more similarities and commonalities between all of us and i think that's the great thing about this hobby is that we can all kind of coexist together yeah i mean that's a great word coexist and i think everyone has a place in this hobby you know the market doesn't care about your feelings the market is going to be the market and act rationally when it when it needs to mm -hmm. um you know the investors create a lot of liquidity in the hobby i think that's very very needed you know, like the high frequency traders that I'm sure you're familiar with, they create a lot of liquidity, make things easy to buy and sell, especially when you talk about a, a non-traditional um, asset or no, I'm sorry, an alternative asset, which is generally pretty liquid. Um, mm -hmm. There's an incredible amount of liquidity in, in Pokemon. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the scalpers, I think I put a lot of that pressure back on Pokemon. I put that on Target, I put it on Walmart. It's like, you know, when you do your taxes, you want to pay the least amount possible without breaking the law. So if Target's going to allow these people to buy things at full retail and buy as many as they want, then, I mean, you can't hurt someone for taking advantage of that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think we all have sort of a negative opinion on that, but I would I'd put more of that blame on the institutions and the environments they create. I think that they're well aware of it. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things they can do about it. But, you know, going to the other sort of categories, um, I think there's a place in the hobby for everyone, you know, and mm -hmm. no matter what part of it you want to come about. I think more so when, you, when we talk about the sharks and that, you know, it's like, I'm going to give an example here, PFM, Pokemon Flying Master. Um, he is a very passionate law punny collector, just loves that one trigger Pokemon. 
<laughs> and you know, there's probably no one else is going to pay as much for that particular Pokemon as him. You know, you think the long-term 10-year, 5, 10-year plan for that particular Pokemon probably isn't that bright. But at the same time, he's buying that because he enjoys it. It's his hobby. It's the goal he set, and that's what uh, motivates him to participate in the hobby and, and at the level that he finds nostalgia. So, you know, case in point that um, I think everyone is somewhat nostalgic to some degree, whether it's, you know, that 99 as a kid opening a pack or it's just growing up in 2006, 2007, 2012, watching the anime and, you know, just, just falling in love with the hobby all over again. I think there's a place for everyone. I don't think anyone's in Pokemon without some sort of knowledge base of it. But um, there's a clear sort of inflection point between people who um, are purely buying um, for the speculative purposes, who those are the people, you know, that, that are very susceptible to getting burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that just buy for, you know, because they just enjoy. And I think over time, um, the, the people who speculate, um, you know, some of them do very, very well. They're very educated, very smart, and they sort of have a leg up on others. Um, they're, uh, they have paper hands. It's probably the way to put it. But, you mm-hmm. know, if you bought anything in 2006, no matter what you bought, generally you've done well. If you bought anything in 2018, generally you've done well. And so it, that's always been the case. And I don't think that'll be the case for every sort of car or set moving forward. And I can get into a few examples that, that may help you or help your, your content or your um, viewers better understand that. Um, but not every decision going forward is going to be a, um, I guess, a positive investment decision, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So l- l- let me just go into that example now. Yeah. So prior to Steam Siege, Every single booster, I mean, let's just cut out all the 2003, 2004, because there were magazine articles where based at booster boxes were like 30 bucks a box. I think everyone sort of is at least loosely familiar with that, where you, know, you could have bought a base set box in 2008 for 30 bucks. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But when you think like 2012, like on every single box that had ever been printed from base set all the way to heart, gold, soul, silver, black, white was more than MSRP more than 90 bucks, 100 bucks, let's call it there. So no matter what you bought, it was always worth more than what you paid. And it was kind of this moment in 2014, 2015, I was like, you can literally buy anything and you're going to retain value. Like, that's crazy. And then, of course, Pokemon had a horrible set. I mean, it it almost sounds like Lord Voldemort when you say the name Steam Siege. It's like, he (laughs) he must not say the name. And so Steam Siege was such a bad set and people just overextended they bought way too much and they got burned really really bad and so now we're kind of at this moment again where 2020 2021 every set that's ever been printed you cannot find it below msrp everything is high and so you know if you look back it's like if pokemon makes a really really bad set i mean champion's path was pretty bad but it had charizard that's Mm -hmm. sort of the difference there but um you know you could have a steam siege 2.0 and so I would just be very cautious that um, not everything is is locked in, returns aren't guaranteed, and um, just take a step back and have some perspective with uh, a lot of the price movements or market movements, especially if you're, um, you know, gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Mm-hmm, for sure, and and really uh, on that note, I'd like to ask you the question: Going since you started, what would you say has changed most, or what have you seen? Uh, the biggest changes in in the hobby since you first began 
Um, that's a really good question. I had something on the tip of my tongue. I think there's a much greater appreciation of uh, some of the older cards, Watsy, um, especially some error cards. I remember there being two or three people that were buying error cards, and I was like one or two of them. And if I was ever getting outbid, I would just ping the other person and say, hey, are you bidding this? He's like, oh, my gosh, it's you. And it was like just a small world. Um, mm-hmm. Today, I see people bidding on error cards that are just going for astronomical amounts. I mean, I think I got a Polish Shift Jungle Jolteon for a really, I mean, I thought I paid a pretty penny, but it was like, that was like my guy. Jolteon's my favorite. So I just had to go mm-hmm. for it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to make money on it, but it was just a great card. And um, I, I cannot believe how many people are chasing errors. And the way I sort of put that type of collector is, you've collected everything else, you know, what's next, you know, no one wants to collect 50 base sets, but someone might want to collect one base set and kind of a funky looking Blastoise, a red dot Blastoise. And so it's a way to diversify your collection to grow it, uh, to further expand your experience with the hobby without just buying the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, another example would be the amount of people who have just been captivated by EX series. I mean, gold stars, what an underrated set. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember talking sure. to Pokey Rev in 2015 saying, he was like, man, should I buy you Xboxes? They're like two or 300 bucks. He's like, dude, older, rare, meant they're better. Go mm-hmm. Watsy all the way. Buy base head, buy fossil, buy jungle. <laughs> I was like, dude, those $200 Xboxes, like, no, like they're just, just no. And uh, man, was I wrong. I was so, so wrong. And uh, I just, th- there was an entire generation of people that just, that's all they knew and that's all they want. Mm-hmm. And they don't care about base jungle fossil. They care about gold star Rayquaza. There are two versions of it. They want both. You know, they care about Latios, Latias, Celebi, all the all the gold stars. And um, I think you're going to continue to see pockets of those for diamond and pearl, heart gold, soul, silver, things that pop up because they do have their own unique qualities and characteristics. But um, I, I think those have been um, people are already jumping on it. You're, you're not going to be early in any of that stuff. So. By, by no means is that like a hidden gem at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And if you think about it, each generation, we're, we're starting to get to the point now where those EX, you know, era boxes, sets, series, those were another generation. Right. I, I, right. You know, you're talking about that 25 to 35 year old demographic that is the, you know, the, the largest demographic it seems to be in the Pokemon card world right now. Well, that's going to shift. And then it's going to be, you know, the generations that came after us. I'm, I'm 30 and, uh, you know, I was a part of, of Gen 1, 1999, stopped in about 2002, as I'm sure many of us did. But there were generations that came mm-hmm. after that. There was people that came into, you know, Diamond and Pearl era. That was their first introduction to Pokemon. And then Black and White, um, that was their first generation. And I've been saying the same thing. A lot of those EX era boxes and sets, those have just climbed astronomically. And so you start looking, you start forecasting into the future, and you start looking at, okay, well, well, what's really next? And then you start going into series like black and white and black and white base set um you know that was the first time that we saw full art cards for instance zekrom and uh, reshiram so that that started up a precedent for cards to come thereafter and and really has permeated throughout the hobby ever since and so i i think you're right i think looking at those those pockets and, and kind of understanding that 
generations to come will more than likely have a different taste for cards. They'll have a different mm -hmm. taste for what they truly enjoy, whereas perhaps for our generation, it was the Charizard. Maybe for them, it's the... Uh, I don't know, full art trainer cards or, you know, <laughs> Put you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new Pokemon, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, I tell you what, it's tough, man. I'll open up some of the new booster boxes and luckily I can pronounce them. But if you ask me what generation they were from, it would, uh, it would be difficult. Uh, I remember very, opening, very opening solid Champions. in the earlies, but after that. <laughs> yeah. I opened Champions Path and there was a Pokemon called like Al Creamy or something. And like, it mm -hmm. like caught me off guard. And I was like, that is such a horrible name. Yeah. Like it just, it just threw me off. And, um, you know, it's like what's going to come next and generally pokemon when you, when you say the name they like relate to something you know so mm -hmm. like squirtle you know like squirting water or whatever like blastoise just blast like like you can always like see some sort of like content like context with the name there but mm -hmm. some of these newer pokemon i'm like i think the japanese english translation might have been off like it's like i'm trying <laughs> to put you know two and two together like hey what, what is this like representing you guys are just doing shapes now like mm -hmm. you know but no it, it's uh there's too many to keep track of, uh, which I guess is why I didn't really buy a lot of Shining, uh, Shining Fates. I just thought it was all a newer generation. And mm -hmm. I think the price and the demand and how many people were chasing this stuff, it's like, all right, I'd rather just buy the Suicune, buy the uh, the Ditto and the Lapras and a few others. And mm -hmm. it's like for the price of one ETB, I've got all the cards I want, you know? So yeah, yeah. Um, I think you just have to take a step back. And um, Hidden Fates is going to be amazing, you know, going forward. Mm -hmm. But I think Shining Fates has uh, has lost some of the steam, um, at least at least at this point that we're at right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's it's a commonality or it's a trend that I've seen going back. Gosh, probably till at least Hidden Fates, I would say, um, where every set that comes after that. It, the 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 set that's released is always really popular and everybody's scrambling to get it but as soon as the next set is released it's like everybody's forgotten about that one and, yeah. and it's like once i feel like once battle styles is released which by the time this uh <laughs> this episode goes up um it will be the day after that battle styles is released you know shining fates will probably become a thing of the past and then all the focus will be on battle styles and then you know whatever i guess the next one is chilling rain everybody will be looking it's it's like this constant hamster wheel where everybody right. is just kind of looking for the next the next set and they come out it seems so fast that you you don't even have a chance to try to complete the set before the next one's released it's like how does the normal collector just you know the casual normal collector just participate in the hobby I mean, mm -hmm. you literally cannot open enough boxes to pull every card if you're just, you know, working a nine to five, you got kids, a wife, and you may, you maybe have, you know, max 50 bucks a week you can spend. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, opening packs is no longer the best option. You have to buy singles or trade or I remember I was at a card store like last weekend or two weekends ago uh, near Mick Games in Chicago. And uh, basically the kid walked in, he had 25 bucks and he just wanted one of the starters, like Charmander, Bulbasaur, um, <laughs> Squirtle, and their uh, you know mid-tier evolution, Charmeleon, War Turtle, Ivysaur. And uh, that was all he could buy, literally just mm -hmm. the loose card, just a single. I think he got them from base set or something, but mm -hmm. um, it was like that was all he could walk away with. You know, couldn't get a pack. And 
Um, you know, you want to step in, you want to help people every now and then, but it's just like, that's just kind of where the hobby is. And it's, um, it's just very difficult for the, the, uh, very casual collector to fully enjoy the hobby. But I mean, at the same time, Pokemon's giving the collectors a lot of stuff that they want. I mean, there's a gold Snorlax coming out in chilling rain. That's going to be, that looks pretty mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, you can't make everybody happy, but I think what Pokemon's going to do is they're just going to print product to oblivion. You know, they are, they, they are certainly expanding their printing facilities and, um, the amount of uh, product they can push out that's confirmed. And, uh, I think people are going to be very surprised at, um, their ability to meet demand. I think so too. I think that now that we're nearing or appear to be nearing the end of the pandemic and more people are going to be going back to work, um, vaccinations are much more ubiquitous now. I think we are going to have a very different um, summer and fall uh, season for Pokemon cards. And I think everything that has been released during the Sword and Shield era, I think are going to get massive reprints i don't think they're going to go um further back than like sword and shield base set i think they're really going to focus on the current series but i think you know vivid voltage shining fates all of these sets i think throughout 2021 there's going to be plenty of stock on the shelves in my opinion yeah i remember team up coming out on broken bonds with tag team just the gorgeous gorgeous latios latias like heart card Mm -hmm. I remember just thinking like, this is such a good product. Like this is like high quality, like a love point from the pack. Very, very enjoyable experience. And that was sort of the first time I got back into modern and was just like buying singles and just enjoying the hobby for what it is. By no means am I an expert when it comes to like competitive play or what cards do this or that, or, you know, building decks. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly just like the collectability, the set building, you know, um, sort of production issues and, you know, quantities and kind of who has what and sort of a market maker when it comes to um, mm-hmm. vintage. But um, I was just sort of blown away. And um, I'm toying with this hard decision right now. You know, it's kind of going back to financial literacy and, you know, all the stuff that you're able to preach is, you know, should I sell my modern cards? You know, should this Latios, Latias from Team Up or from maybe it's Unbroken Bonds, should it be like 1500 bucks on a 10? It's like, I love this card, but I mean, would I rather have 15 bucks? I can put back into like a Blastoise from base set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can probably buy a first edition PSA, I don't know, maybe a four or six Blastoise from base set for like that same amount of money. It's like, does that make sense? Yeah. And so like, I'm really toying with like, I collected these cards because I enjoyed them. I mean, I was buying those cards for very, very cheap right when they released and, you know, they were mint, so they graded well. But it's like, you know, do I want to break up this thing I enjoy for, you know, the financial reasons. And um, I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm kind of torn with this decision. Um, is team up here to stay? Is Unbroken Bonds mm-hmm. here to stay? I think Modern has incredible risk since, since a lot of it is still being printed. A lot of it very well easily could be reprinted. Um, by no means is our first edition for any of the Modern stuff. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And so, um, no, it's just kind of a decision I'm toying with right now, trying to figure out what, what the right thing to do is. Yeah, and it is an interesting dilemma and one that I've considered as well. Recently on uh, one of my videos, each month I try to do an undervalued or overlooked series and try to uncover cards, products Mm -hmm. out on the open market that I think, you know, are being overlooked or underrated by 
by the market and one of them was the versus series um from 2001 and you know just using that that example there of that price point of fifteen hundred dollars you could buy up a good portion i'm probably 15 cards from the versus series for that fifteen hundred dollars in a in a gem mint status and again there's that 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 disconnect there that that dissonance of you know does does this modern card deserve the same type of price point whereas i can buy you know 10 of these cards from 2001 is 20 years older they're first edition cards um you know all of these really unique characteristics and and it's hard to it's hard to say well you know which one is the right way to go and in some ways it's it's nice to be able to have that flexibility uh, to be able to say, well, you know what, I actually would like to focus more on the vintage. Vintage, that's more of what I'm interested in. And so maybe you do, maybe you do sell that uh, Latios Latios, and you know reinvest that back into other cards that maybe have more of a, a sentimental aspect to them, at least you know for yourself. Yeah, and that's the the crazy thing is like like it's not like we have some secret that we're hiding that we're not sharing with anyone like everyone knows that modern just has so much cash so much being pumped into it. the prices are insane when it comes to some of these charizards and even just random full arts going for 150 bucks in psa 10 it's it's like you know there's like 100,000 of those that could very easily get a 10 you know out there mm-hmm. like it's been printed to oblivion yet you have modern and you know fun little like i guess you know piece of advice if if i were to give advice to anyone um exclusive japanese print like artwork cards from earlier sets are, are some of the most like underrated parts of the hobby, in my opinion. Um, and a lot of people, what they do is they find out more sets exist. Like imagine if there was another set between base jungle fossil that you never knew existed that were by the same artists at the same mm-hmm. time, they used to work in English. And so I was selling vending series PSA tens for 30 bucks. And again, almost every card I sell, it was like something I would was building for my collection. And then, you know, you just get a bunch of extras over time. The intention was never to create a business. What happened was I just had a ton of extra cards and all of a sudden you're in a business, you're filing taxes and you're paying, th- you're doing all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, you sort of but, fall into it. But case in point, once you find out about VS series versus series, you know, all the other sets that go in there, the 130 cards or so, and, you know, vending series one, two, three, um, there's a lot of just beautiful hidden gems in that set and people are, it's taken off. So like vending series, PSA tens, I've seen some self, I don't want to like, like pump the market or price gouge or any of that stuff, but I've seen some sell for hundreds of dollars. And to me, that doesn't like exactly make sense. But when you look at modern, it's like, well, I mean, vending should be like $5,000 if you, mm-hmm. you know, compare it to modern. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, case in point that the weird, you know, going back to the initial point here, um, we all know that modern just is priced at a, at a, it's in its own market. It is not relatable to the earlier sets. Like, like there's not the correlation that should be there. Um, I'll get into something else here in a second, but it's like, we all see it. We all know it yet. The market doesn't care about your feelings. It's going to do whatever it wants to do. And it, it just kind of blows me away that like, we know there's so much risk with modern yet it continues it continues to rise and cash keeps coming in and pumping it up it's not like things are falling or cracking anytime soon but i'll give you a second to kind of chime in there no i i agree with you i think that it is and i've said before i truly believe that it's 
you know, the vintage market helps to prop up the the modern market. And I, I also think what it boils down to, and I, we were talking about this before the podcast, is that there right now there is still a knowledge gap that exists right. between people like yourself who have been in the hobby for a long time and people who are just getting back in. And people who are just getting back in, well, guess what? The the things that they can afford, the things that they can find, the things that are most prevalent and most in their phase are yeah. modern products. And so that's, that's where they're gravitating towards. Whereas, you know, people like yourself, uh, for, for me, you know, having a financial background and, and kind of looking at the underlying factors that or the intrinsic value of products, I start to see that disconnect. And I think over time, and, and I really want to get your perspective on this as well, the direction that the market is heading and the direction that the hobby is heading is I think there's going to be more of a coalescence of knowledge. That gap is going to, sh is, is going to narrow and more people are going to become familiar with some of the, the sets that we've been talking about today and starting to understand those factors. You talked about them before, older, rarer, minter, uh, older. I can't remember better. all of them. You got better, it. You got yeah. it. Exactly. You got to learn it, man. You're going to be an advisor. <laughs> you got to learn it. <laughs> but they're, they're going to start to learn those various factors. And, and it doesn't mean that they have to necessarily go back and they have to invest in like first edition base set hollows. But there's, there's cards that are flying under the radar where you can start to pinpoint some of those characteristics that we saw in the, the sets that we're seeing the, the tremendous growth in. And they can, they can pick up those products. And again, that's what I've tried to do with many of my series because, you know, whatever happens with the market, as you said, people say, well, you know, Pokenav, you're going to influence the market or you're going to, you know, make these cards just skyrocket in price. And I, I tell people the same thing. The market is going to do what it's going to do. Laissez-faire. The market is just mm -hmm. going to operate as right, it free is. Right, Exactly. It's it, regardless of what I have to say. So really, my approach is to is to try to provide people with those opportunities so that, you know, they can kind of put themselves in a, a similar position like you were in back in when you started where you said, OK, yeah, I see I see the intrinsic value in these in these products and I see the long term potential, yeah. not not to say that you wanted to sell those or, you know, flip them at some time in the future, but you really saw the the inherent value in those products. And so I yeah. think that's where we're headed. That that knowledge gap is going to narrow and um, and the the market itself will just stabilize more and more as we go on. Exactly. There's gonna be less arbitrage and you're gonna see less sort of you know price differences and stuff. And I think you see a lot in sports as well today, just the prices gap narrowing. But, you know, another really good point is I always try to tell people, um, you know, you don't know your buyer. You know, the, the the market today is so much bigger and not everyone in the market is going to watch this video or watch my videos or your videos or even Scott's videos or Lean Hard. I mean, the, the market is so much bigger than all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, you know, 2014, 2015, when you, you could literally name everyone in the hobby, like on a couple hands that were buying cards over 10K. There were very few. And um, essentially, um, you have to enter the market to really know um, how the market's going to react. So mm -hmm. I had a really good friend of mine get a big card graded. 
he was going to take a deal. And I told him, I was like, you don't know your buyer. Like you think you might know your buyer. You might know people who are interested in this, but you don't know your buyer. Um, now, fortunately, people still come to me and, and sell things, which I'm very, very grateful for, especially if it's collection focused. Um, but, but the market is massive. But no, I had another yeah. point I was trying to think of. And oh, oh yeah, yeah, about the hobby and the knowledge gap. I've noticed that like tremendously. Um, I, a lot of things that I've sort of shared and told people, like I learned from others, you know, so it wasn't like I woke up one day and all of a sudden it's like, bam, Pokemon just <laughs> uploaded into my brain. I mean, Elon Musk, maybe someday, but, um, <laughs> you know, ultimately I learned and I have pulled from many, many sources, many online places, many videos, verified things myself, you know, followed up with people. And, um, you know, as a consultant, I think, you know, we're, we can take a lot of just messy information and provide a very clear, easy, um, action oriented, you know, assessment of what we've learned. And I think I've sort of been able to do a lot of that with a lot of the, what I've learned in the hobby. And I think people really appreciate it, um, which I'm, I'm grateful for. But at the same time, so many of the people have branched out and shared that knowledge over and over and over that the average collector today is so much more knowledgeable than the average collector in 2015. I mean, you can hop on eBay and just see like good find after good find, just rare cards. People have no idea what variant it is. That it's 1992,000, you know, base UK, or that it's the hollow bleed or double hollow this or that, or, you know, OCMC, just every little variant. And so I think I'm very, I think it was a part of it, but I wasn't the only part of it. Um, I'm very, very proud of the knowledge the hobby has shared and how open we are and how um, sort of inviting we are as well, too. I mean, the content you're creating here today and, you know, the content you have been creating over the last year or so. Uh, but like you said, you, you think going forward, it's going to you know, tighten even more. And just my perspective, by my per, uh, perception today is like, I almost can't believe how much people know that are just very new to the hobby. It blows me away. And mm -hmm. um, I really am just thankful that we're uh, at the point we are now. Yeah. And I think that it really culminated at the right time in, in all actuality in that yeah. Pokemon really took off even more with the the pandemic more people at home more time on their hands uh, also i think the the trepidation that they had with the other financial markets out there they started looking well where else can i possibly put some money that that has some appreciable value to it and right. that brought so many people onto youtube or to other platforms and learning about pokemon and it just so happened that at that time we had more people, we had more content creators, we had more, you know, people like yourself, myself, um, SM Pratt, even Leonhardt, uh, you know, people out there that were providing this information to a much wider audience. And now you've got even more eyes on that. The, the only thing that I worry about is that at some point, like the, the it's like information overload for right, people right. who are just getting in where it's like, oh my gosh, like you're talking about all these variants and now you've got this grading and you've got values and all these things. And I think in the end, what it real really boils down to, and, and everybody that I've talked to, it's always been the same. When you start out, just start out in what you enjoy. What cards do you enjoy? What Pokemon do you like? Um, what eras do you like? Start mm -hmm. out there, learn what you can, and then move on, you know, maybe venture into other series, into other years. 
Um, but just start with what you enjoy. And I think that really harkens back to the fact of, of being a collector at heart, you know, going back to understanding what it is that you truly enjoy in this hobby, starting from there and then branching out wherever the hobby takes you. Yeah. And just, you just have to set a goal. I mean, what you're saying is perfect. I, I think that's, it's great advice to anyone entering the hobby. And, um, you know, we can dive into that just a little bit more right now, but you really just want to set a goal. Um, it doesn't matter what that goal is. It can be anything, you know, what, what do you find value in? What brings you back? You know, when you open your phone, you hop on eBay, like what are your safe searches? Like, what do you get excited to see? And when you see it, do you get goosebumps, you know, like what brings, what gives you just that childhood feeling? And so there, there are a few ways to be responsible with pursuing a goal. And I think, you know, some of those are just being as knowledgeable as possible, leveraging, you know, the people in the hobby that can give you insight, maybe inside information with, you know, maybe who has, you know, quantities or where you can find things. But a lot of times when you're pursuing a goal, it comes down to price. And so, you know, you could buy low, buy high, you could buy fair value. Um, and that is going to make more of an impact um, what your entry point is versus what goal you pursue. So case in point, I always try to share with people, um, the, the money or the value isn't made in the transactions going back and forth. Yeah, obviously you can rotate capital, you can flip inventory and, you know, that's going to help you know, some people more than others that put in the hours and grind. But the true value, the true growth in the hobby is made by increasing the pie. It's made by more people coming to the hobby, building a foundation for the new collectors, new kids, new competitors, all the people who are, particip or are participants in the market. So that includes the scalpers, that includes the flippers, that includes the investors, the, the liquid capital that comes in the market, that includes us, mm -hmm. you know, the long-term collectors who are setting goals, that includes the speculators, it includes everyone in the entire hobby. But as long as more and more people keep entering the hobby, it sounds like a Ponzi scheme, but it's not, I promise you. <laughs> um, that is where most of the value comes from. It doesn't come from flipping a dollar here or there. It, it comes from literally just the hobby growing and all the prices sort of elevating the inflation, I guess you can call it. We, we, can, we can think of a term for it. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you for this specific term, but we can call it some sort of inflationary term or something. Um, but you want to see it steadily increase over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's really appreciation. I, I think yeah, would be, there we go. you know, a, a really, and that's what I saw in Pokemon. I saw, um, especially with vintage, I saw a product that had limited supply. That I mean, at this point, for many products from Wizards of the Coast, we can accurately predict how much supply is actually out there. Um, for others, we can't, but. Um, you have a limited supply, you have a very strong demand, you have a product that you know is tangible, which I think more and more people are gravitating towards the actual tangible products that have intrinsic value. Right. And, uh, and I think you have all the makings of an appreciable asset. So I, I think you're right. I think the more people that we have come in, the, the larger the hobby grows, the stronger it becomes, the more knowledge that we have because people who are new now will be the Zach Browning, will be the gem mint Pokemon, or at least have the potential, you know, to be that type of person who is, you know, so egalitarian and wants to spread the, the knowledge and the experiences that they've gained along the way. And, and yes, you'll, you'll have the nefarious sorts, but again, it doesn't matter 
what market, it doesn't matter what hobby out there, there's always going to be those various archetypes. And and honestly, it makes it it makes it interesting. It makes it interesting. And the people who are doing the right things are, are those are gonna be the people that flourish. Those are gonna be people that are around for the long term. And ultimately that's the kind of community that you're you're cultivating. So I I, I absolutely Love that. And before we wrap up here, Zach, uh, last question that I have here for you is I want to know, and I'm sure everybody out there is is <laughs> curious to know, what's next for you? What's next for your collection? What can uh, the community as a whole look forward to for Gem Mint Pokemon? Oh, man, such a, such a tough question. Um you know, I have so many ideas that are going through and, and, you know, I, I regret maybe not monetizing, um, when I've done more, you know, real breaking, breaking Nate, you know, got in the hobby in 2014, Lee and Hart got in the hobby in 2014. You know, I started my YouTube channel at that time, um, as in, you know, I didn't necessarily take advantage of maybe some of the income streams that were out there. And, um, I think I would like to, maybe try to find a way to make this a more full-time gig. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have three or four ideas going through my head that would help that. I think it would be a net positive as in it would certainly help a lot of the people who um, are, have followed my story and, and, you know, subscribed on either Instagram or YouTube, one or the other. And so I'm really hopeful that, that at some point this year, I can sort of um, talk more about those items, but the challenge is, you know, a lot of things I chase are very specific. They're very niche. They're very just small. And it only takes one other bidder to, you know, to um, outbid you on something. So it's not that I think prices are going to go up. It's that that one little rare thing. I just need to make it someone, the right person aware. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm losing sort of my collection goals that I'm, I'm chasing. But um, every time I think about a video I want to make, it's like something else pops up. And it's like, oh, man, well. You know, I'm going to lose that auction if I, if I talk about it because um, <laughs> I, I don't have a million dollars in cash. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's um, it's definitely, uh, <laughs> you can call it a cash poor hobby because I think there, there's always just so many things to buy. But mm -hmm. um, no, I would, I, I have some really good things I'm, I'm working on, some things I, I would love to uh, become more active in the hobby. I think at some point I would like to do video and camera, um, especially come back with you and do that. I think that'd be great. Um but uh, I, I don't want to sit by the wayside um, as I have been over the last few years. I, I, I really want that to change. So um, I'm open to feedback if anyone has any feedback. So certainly uh, open to, you know, taking that next step with, with, uh, with some people. Well, if it's any, if it's any consolation from me, Zach, I mean, I think you've got, you've got the tool at your disposal right now. Uh, you know, in your in your current position, you're a consultant, correct? Yes, I work in management consulting, and we're on the uh, work focus on the healthcare side. Well, I think that if you brought over those same skills, though that same uh, skill set, if you will, to Pokemon, I think that would be an invaluable asset to this community uh, because as you said there's there's a lot of of big items out there there's a lot of people out there who are wanting to uh, spend money on big items uh, whether it's for their collection investing purposes and I think as we said the 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 biggest asset and and the the thing that most people are looking for right now 
is that information, is that knowledge, mm-hmm. and you have that, you know, you have that dialed in. I think if you cultivated the the consulting skill set that you already have, brought that over to Pokemon, um, not only do I think that it would be very beneficial for you um, in being able to do something like this full time, but also that just helps the hobby even more. And you can probably vouch for this as well. I know for for myself, whenever I am all in on something, mm-hmm. I would much rather um, pay somebody for the knowledge that they have. I mean, obviously, you've seen that in the consulting world as well. Companies, individuals, they're willing to put forth the the financial means in order to expedite the process of getting from point A to point B. And I, I think that would be so fantastic. Uh, if you if you decided to incorporate that into Pokemon as well, yeah, and I don't want to go too long here, but I mean, like, like work really takes a lot of my time and attention, and mm-hmm. a lot of my like just mental just ability. Like last week, we were on Teams calls, like literally from seven a.m. to like ten thirty at night. Like n- not like we're working on a computer on Excel, like literally on a call with someone talking through things. Wow! And like those days can just be mentally exhausting, and then. You know, I'll be on, you know, my phone on IG, just talking to people, messaging people when there's like lulls or I'm not speaking or something, but um, not every week is like that, but we do have times where it's just, it's impossible for me to just, you know, crank out a video because if I'm mm-hmm. not working, I'm like, let me go buy groceries. Let me, you know, go to this or that. So I think, you know, going full time would certainly open up doors and I can, dude, I can think of so many different value opportunities in the hobby, just things that don't exist that have a, have a certain place in the hobby that, that will just be generational businesses for those that can. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was an opportunity, but you know, I'll just throw an idea right, right now. It's like, I've even thought about just Patreon and you know, a lot of times people, when they need advice, they're like, well, what's your investment horizon? What's your goals? Like what's this and that? And it's like, I, I could just go to the dark side and just say, Hey, how much money have you spent? And what's the best thing to buy? And I'll just tell you right off the bat. Cause I think mm-hmm. there's some very clear opportunities, but um that you know, I don't need a 30 minute story. I can just tell you right away. And I think people appreciate that. You know, you're giving the CFO a 10 second, you know, update, you know, how do you handle that with Patreon? So mm-hmm. um, I've never done that. Cause I thought it would take away from sort of the genuine innocence part of the hobby that, um, you know, I think I mentioned this before the podcast, but you know, it's like, you don't want to work at the restaurant you love cause you're going to hate the restaurant. So yeah. it's like, if the hobby becomes income, am I going to hate the hobby? Cause mm-hmm. the hobby is sort of, um, one of the best parts of my life. And, um, I don't want to lose the appreciation, nostalgia, and, um, all of just the, the great, great things that come from it. So, um, I mean, I'm happy to talk offline with you. And if anyone listening to this has ideas for me, I certainly, um, I'm all, all yours, but, um, I think there's a lot that can be done and, um, I just don't want to lose any brand or images or imaging mm-hmm. um, when it comes to making any of those decisions. Yeah, yeah. Well, Zach, all I can say is I think no matter what decision that you make, what endeavor you decided to pursue, uh, I I can say that I would love to see it. I know that most, <laughs> probably most of the hobby would love to see it. And the most important thing is I know that you would go into it with the best intentions and, and the 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 foreknowledge of being able to help as many people as you possibly could because that is exactly what you've done from the very beginning and have, have not asked a thing 
from from anyone else. So I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, as I said, you were one of the pivotal uh, people who got me back into Pokemon cards. I know there's a lot of other people out there who have viewed you as a major influence and i just want to thank you so so much for being on the podcast and taking the time to speak with me today it's been a real treat for me and uh, all i can say is you know i i wish you the best of luck with no matter what it is that you pursue and and as i said whatever that happens to be the hobby as a whole is in for a real treat thanks so much for having me it was a pleasure to be here and um, i look forward to to the next one and the many other guests you have. So certainly can't wait to tune in. Perfect. Perfect. Well, guys, be sure that you check out Gem Mint Pokemon. You can check them out on YouTube, over on Instagram. Zach, is there anywhere else that people can find you? Um, I do keep an active once list on E4. So if you ever want to see the cards I'm looking for that I want to, I'm ready to buy on my active once, um, you can check that out. I got links and um, I think... Uh, and all my YouTube videos, I have a link. It's, you know, came, hey, come help me out. <laughs> so that would be appreciated <laughs> as well, too. Perfect. And I'll be sure to link that up uh, in the description as well. But again, Zach, thank you so much for being here, my friend. That is going to do it for today, guys. We will see you all next time right here on the Pokemon Masterclass. Take care, everybody.